Hey, this is a Hakawati production. Hi there. I'm Nadia Michelle, and I'm so glad you're here. If you enjoy this, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave your comments so you can share your thoughts with us and our other listeners. We think that that's one great way for everyone to learn and grow together. We have news today, literally. We're talking about the news industry in the Middle East. Most people take news for granted. It's always there. We can get it whenever we want, and these days, pretty much wherever we want. But let's not forget the news industry is also a business. To help us understand what's really going on behind the scenes, we have in the studio with us the managing editor of Lebanon's An-Nahar English newspaper, Elias Seked. Hi, Elias. Thanks for coming to the show. Hi, Nadia. Thank you for having me. So um, when, when did you launch the website? The website was launched six years ago, but we actually did a, a revamp like three years ago. It used to be uh, more uh, of a news blog, and now it's a full-fledged news website okay. covering everything from politics to business. Like a regular newspaper, but online, and it's the equivalent of the... So do you guys translate the articles that are on the HUD Not Arabic? really, no. No, we have our own coverage. Uh, sometimes we do use what our like uh, Arabic reporters uh, produce, mm -hmm. and we add to that. Yeah. So newspapers used to make their money with ads based on the number of copies they sold. And now with online media, it's based on the number of clicks, right? So how is the news industry doing in the region as far as you know? Look, uh, those are like globally challenging circumstances for newspapers. I mean, in the U.S., uh, online uh, advertising uh, uh, is like doing really well. It's big business. In 2018, it was worth $109 billion. That's all online advertising. Of course, that includes social media and all that. The thing is, uh, print advertising revenues uh, are declining. Okay, the, the growth in online or digital ad revenue is not compensating for that decline. And it's a global problem for all newspapers. Uh, take, uh, for instance, the US. Okay, most of the local papers are struggling. Okay, only a few national papers have managed to break even or make profits. In Lebanon, it's actually uh, it's actually worse for newspapers because they didn't have a profitable business model to begin with. They used to survive on political money, political financing, and now that the money stopped flowing, okay, they had to reinvent their business model. They had to consider a profitable business model, one that generates uh, money or profits. So. It was too little too late for most of them. That's why you saw a Safir close, uh, Al-Hayat closed its offices in Beirut. Uh, most other papers are struggling. So they had to go through this transition from a traditional newspaper to a digital platform. They seem to be pretty doing pretty well in the U.S., though, like I said. So is it a, a, a maybe a, an example of how the Middle East is kind of lagging behind or they don't know how to translate the news onto social media? Because in, in the U.S., news is hot commodity, but it's not in the traditional sense. Now news has become kind of this like... Um, entertainment, basically, that divides people and gets people kind of engaged and angry and, you know, and, and that's what's attracting people. And it's mostly on the platforms, on the social media platforms. So the news, people are go to the website, I guess, driven by what they're seeing on Facebook and all that. Is, is that something that's not developed enough in the Middle East, in your opinion? Yes. And they embarked on that digital transformation journey late. They embarked on that transition 
late. So now they're struggling. The ad revenue is dropping significantly. Yeah. The print ad revenue is dropping significantly and they can't find a way to compensate for that. I mean, they're trying, but I think it's too little too late for most of them. Yeah, well, it's never too late. I think there's always a way to kind of catch up, uh, hopefully. But I think it's a matter of strategy also, personally. You know, if there's, if you find the right strategy, suddenly the tide can turn, I think. Lebanon is a small country, but you have big countries in the region where you can have like a large population engaged and, and people clicking and people looking. And if you can, you know, capitalize on that, technically you should be able to monetize it. But um, it's interesting you brought up regional news because how important is regional news especially in situations like what's happening in the region now and around the world, but there are there's a lot of uh, protests happening. How important is it to maintain regional news as opposed to relying on often like state-owned uh, media? It's, it's really important for Lebanese media outlets to expand their coverage regionally because the Lebanese advertising market is really small. And uh, taking into consideration what's happening right now, the fiscal situation, the financial crisis, they need to target a bigger audience to generate revenues. And uh, given the fact that most Arabs are young and connected, there's an opportunity there to grab. Mm -hmm. But are people consuming news more in these kinds of situations? And how many questions are they asking? Are they are they aware of what's really happening? And are you guys really reporting on things that are not being fed to you by, you know, um, politicians and decision makers? Look, honestly, most most media outlets in Lebanon are either directly owned by politicians or indirectly affiliated with local or uh, regional yeah. uh, governments. So sometimes... <laughs> That's very interesting. It's not the answer I expected, actually, because when you read the paper, you do get... I mean, listen, I'm, I don't read Arabic, so I'm not as well versed on what's being printed in the news but, or published in the news. But I hear that, of course, you know, every news outlet has its own slant, obviously, because of who owns it. But I was kind of hoping that you had a little bit more leeway. So um, do you... There are some independent yeah. media outlets. Yeah, but like which ones? They reach... I don't want to name any outlets, but the reach are, they have a small reach, okay? And they're mainly targeting intellectuals. The challenge is to reach a bigger audience. Mm -hmm. And to do that, you need funding. Yeah, which is becoming a problem even for you guys. Absolutely. So never mind the the, the real independent media. Um, so who owns Annahar? Okay, uh, it's a number of, sh of shareholders. These include uh, Naila Twain, the Twainy family, Hariri, obviously, and uh, some other shareholders. So do you get, like, directives on how to report the news? How, like, how much oversight is there in, in a newspaper? Because you would hope that they would, uh, even if you own a newspaper, you'd want, it to, you'd want to run it in good faith in the way that news is supposed to be run, which is to, you know, have reporters on the ground kind of telling stories with as little bias as possible. I mean, ultimately, that's the ideal of journalism, right? So how much directive do you get at your newspaper and I imagine at most newspapers? Okay, I can speak for Nahar English. Uh, we're truly independent in that sense. I mean, you can see that in our reporting. We've been warning about the financial crisis for months now. Uh, our our political coverage is uh, is balanced. And we've been reporting the facts. As simple as that. And is there uh, any censorship? Do you do you ever... Are there lines uh, that you really, know that no. you can't cross or um, things that you're, you can't say because you might offend certain groups? I'll be honest. In English, you've got more... Uh, 
leeway? Yeah. Yeah. Why is that? You're targeting uh, mainly academics, intellectuals. Mm. Uh, you don't have as much influence over like the streets, the, I yes, guess, absolutely. in some ways. Absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting. So do you speak ever with like colleagues like from other regions? And is there a lot of censorship overall, you would say, in the Middle East more maybe definitely, than the West? Definitely. I mean, journalists faced prosecution on uh, defamation charges, uh, <laughs> blasphemy, you yeah. name it. Yeah. So most journalists exercise uh, some form of, uh, you can call it self-censorship. Do you think, though, that that censorship on the part of uh, whoever owns the, the media, which is often people who are in positions of power, political power, um, do you think that that censorship discourages people from um, Absolutely. getting angry because uh, they don't they're not aware of it or does it encourage them to look for it somewhere else or does it make them angry that they're not allowed to find out about certain things actually uh, I would like to highlight another another issue with censorship and mm -hmm. and media ownership the industry is no longer attracting talent because of this because of journalists are underpaid. Journalists live or operate in challenging circumstances. So you don't see the industry attracting talent anymore. Yeah. And that's a big challenge. That's great for, you know, uh, corrupt politicians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, sort of. Yeah. It is. So if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> sort of, yeah. <laughs> you have to start encouraging the news. I mean, at the end of the day, the news is there to serve the people, right? Absolutely. I mean, why did you become a journalist? I had a passion uh, to hold those in power accountable. Okay. Do you feel that you're that you do that in some way? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we're doing our best. Yeah, because that's the, that's the big problem. That's why corruption thrives is when you, they're not held ac accountable. Do you think that maybe if um, there was a shift now, let's go back a little bit to the business mo model, because in the U.S., for example, a big portion of the income from advertising, it comes from video content. Is this something that the, that regional news outlets are strong at doing or is it still very uh, segregated between TV, for, like the old school TV and print media have kind of stuck to their way of doing things? It's it's developing, but we're lagging behind. Yeah. Because it's, a, it's basically a vicious cycle. We're underfunded, you know. We can't attract enough, tale enough talent, so mm -hmm. you end up producing less original content. So, and the cycle goes on and on and on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, um, if you can kind of create some kind of buzz online, you know, it's it's always something that can grow um, if you if the right Absolutely. pieces come into place. Um, what about social media? Like uh, that's one of the things that, of course, me, news has to do to kind of uh, reach people and get people talking. Is that something that you guys do a lot of? I mean, every media outlet has to use social media today. Okay, You have to be on social media. Yeah. But again, that's not enough. Do you personally oversee like the Anahar English Twitter account? No, not personally. Okay. Is that somewhere where you feel like there's more oversight? Because there's a lot of governments that have acquired, uh, you know, software, spy software, uh, tracking software um, to kind of um, find dissidents online. Maybe not as much here as in other countries in the region that we don't have to mention. We all know who they are. Um, you know, Israel has that Pegasus. Uh, you've heard of Pegasus? Yep. Uh, that software that tracks people who criticize the regimes. Of course, AI has like um, made it very difficult. You're talking about making things challenging for journalists. They've made it. It's made it very difficult for journalists to freely express ideas. Do you feel that at all? No, not really. Not in Lebanon. I mean, yeah. 
I mean, definitely they've been cracking down on journalists. Uh, they've been arresting people. Do you know I mean, people legal- personally who've been arrested? Uh, I know, yeah, of course, I know people have been arrested and released. But again, the real issue is when a journalist feels that he's not protected by law, again, he'll exercise some form of self-censorship. And yeah. that's that's the worst form. When you feel you're not protected, you won't speak the truth, basically. You won't take basically. the risk. Yeah, exactly. Is it easier to operate in a small country like Lebanon to kind of tell the stories of what's happening, even though you have all those different sides and political and religious sects? Sects? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah? I mean, again, because every, everything is politicized in Lebanon, okay, every, everything is uh, editorialized, it basically helps you in some way express your opinion but at the same time you have to be uh, you have to consider a lot of factors you want, you don't want to offend this this religious guy or you you don't want to offend this politician because he's got shares in your media outlet because he owns shares in media, in your media outlet yeah. again self censorship yeah we yeah. all under i mean everyone does that to a certain extent if you work for a company you're not going to say something terrible about your boss or something Absolutely. right um so right now you have a revolution in lebanon What would happen, first of all, how big of a role do you think the media has played in kind of um, getting people together and mobilizing? And do you think that things would be different if there was no independent media? I think they've done a pretty good job so far, given the fact that most media outlets, like I said before, are, are owned by politicians directly or indirectly. Take, for example, uh, say pro-government media outlets, okay? Even those eventually had to cover the protests. I mean, they ignored them for the first few days. But again, they they eventually had to cover these protests simply because it undermined their credibility after after a few days. So, I mean, yes, I could say they they did pretty good so far. Look, a a really big positive is the fact that uh, investigative journalists are being given more airtime can see it in the different uh, investigative uh, journalism episodes being air all being aired all on night. TV you're talking on TV, about yeah. yeah even in print journalism mm-hmm. okay they're getting more space so th- that's a really big positive yeah so do you assign some of your reporters to investigate stories or absolutely absolutely tell us about a story you did recently well, we investigated a lot a lot of, a lot of uh, issues uh, we've been doing it for like a year now Yeah. Whether it's the uh, trash crisis, the power outages, the, um, the the reforms in public sector, corruption at Beirut port, you, you name it. What's the most shocking thing that you guys uncovered in the last year? <sighs> I would say everything is shocking. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's been how many years now? 30 years since the civil war ended? And you still have power outages. Isn't that shocking? That's shocking. But you did not uncover that. I knew that already. <laughs> I'm shocked no, what too. I'm, what, what I'm trying to say yeah. is we know there's corruption. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's obvious. What's more shocking is there's no law enforcement. I mean, you know who's corrupt. So many cases have been uncovered so far. There's no legal action. So are those some There's of the no cases, accountability. do you guys investigate those kinds of cases? So corruption is a big one right now. And I think um, in many of the countries where there's uh, revolutions, but specifically in Lebanon, for sure, that's the biggest problem. And I think a lot of people feel that the only way it will be solved is if there's justice. And by that, we mean legal justice, right? Absolutely. Law enforcement. Yeah. So do you think that's going to happen? I don't think so, no. Why? Not anytime soon. Why? 
Because, I mean, <laughs> the ruling class is, is involved in those corruption cases, okay? Well, they're going to hold themselves the accountable. If, that's the, the whole point. <laughs> if you overthrow a government or if a government steps down and are no longer in power, then don't they become subject to Absolutely, but to we're the not there yet. Of the land? We're not there yet. Yeah. We're not there yet. So basically my question was in those in your investigation have you uncovered any um kind of evidence that's been helpful in kind of helping build a, bu a public case against um corrupt individuals? I investigated like uh take for example I investigated a few years ago uh corruption at Beirut port. I mean, I presented some some hard ev evidence yeah. but nothing came of it. That's interesting because you would think that if you present evidence publicly, it would um, not only anger people, but people who are in the le in legal positions would seize it, that information and, and use it, you know, in a case to apply the law, which is their job. Absolutely. And it, yeah. look, it's not an isolated case. I mean, it's been on TV for the past few weeks. There's so many cases that have been on TV, like evidence has been presented on TV, like yeah. no one took action. No one took action. So first of all, who is your audience? You, you mentioned uh, for Anahar English. It's a little bit of a different audience than, you know, the, the, we'll have, the population Like 50% percent of our audience mm -hmm. comes from uh, the U.S. It's okay. based in the U.S. Yeah. and the GCC. Yeah. And Europe. The remaining 50% is Lebanon. On your website, you have certain stories that require you to subscribe to to read the full story. Do they do that also on the um, Arab yes. Uh, site? Yes. How successful is that? I would say compared to other media outlets, we're pretty successful. Okay. Is it is it a challenge though? I mean, I, it I is was a big challenge. I'll give you I'll give you an example. Let's just get... let's just point out that it's like one dollar, right? Absolutely. You, you to get a subscription, which is cheaper than a subscription to the paper it's a version. Coffee, yeah. yeah. It's the price of a coffee. Yeah. Not even. My coffees are like <laughs> seven thou. <laughs> it's, it's challenging because yeah. I get calls from friends uh, asking me to unlock some article online. And I'm like, it's only one dollar. From your friends to boot. You'd think they'd support <laughs> you, you, right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you'd think that that's why we're talking about the, like how important news is. It is important. None of those cases that you're talking about, no one would know about them if it wasn't for news. And yet, Absolutely. why is it that people feel like they like it's not worth one dollar? It's it's pretty shocking. But why are you, you, you charging you, one dollar? Really, is this really going to change the bottom line for for the no, news outlet? No, it's a six dollar per month subscription, but it starts yeah. at one dollar. Yeah. We're encouraging people to subscribe. Okay, subscribe, see if the news is worth your money. Yeah, and then decide. So, what do you get for one dollar? Uh, full month subscription for all the stories, yes, all the absolutely. content. So why why does it go up to, to the six dollars? full platform, Arabic, English. I see. Is that the the model for but most But people newspapers? want Not independent. This, yeah. People basically want independent media outlets, but that they're, they're not willing to pay for that. Yeah. Okay, how am gonna How am I gonna produce content well, if I'm not making I think money? That, I think that you probably have to find other models. I mean, if you go to the most successful, uh, if you go to the Fox website, they don't ask you to pay one dollar or six dollars, right? So perhaps that's not the right model, even though I personally think that, you know, it's worth it. But perhaps there are other models that would be more successful. Maybe it's more in the approach and how you grow the um, the audience. Look, the model has been pretty successful for us yeah. so far. Okay. I mean, but the thing is, like I said before, the transition came late and it takes time. Definitely. So you have to weather. Yeah, it's been twenty years that yeah. so that uh, like things. And the model changing. has worked for the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the yeah, Washington Post. Yes, they do. They all charge. Okay. 
subscription fees. So, and it worked for them. And I can tell you that's gonna work for us, but it takes time to break even. Most of the digital uh, ad revenue, mm -hmm. most of the growth in the digital ad revenue doesn't offset the decline in print revenue yet. Yeah. So, Are you, how many newspapers do you sell now per uh, week? I have no idea, actually. I'm sure it's not that many. I, I don't remember the last time I saw someone reading like a newspaper, a paper newspaper, right? It's like... There are some people who still read newspapers. Yeah? Do you? I do. <laughs> what do you read? What news What news do you read? I'm sure you, you check out all, you know, whatever. I have to check all sections, actually. Yeah. Because I'm in the industry. Yeah. yeah. Which news in the in the Middle East do you kind of trust and turn to when you're start, starting your day? Look for someone in the news industry. You have to actually read different news opinions, publications yeah. and different opinions. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I have to read basically uh, news from across the spectrum. So, but can you name a few? In Lebanon, uh, I read Al Akbar. I read. I used to read the Safir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I read uh, Al Liwa. I mean, every every newspaper yeah. out there. Yeah. I have to read them. That's what you do all day. You sit at your desk reading news. You have to. You have to do some media monitoring. I mean, that's that's part of the job. Yeah, it is. So, do you, as the managing editor, do you do a lot of reporting yourself, or do you assign most of the work? Uh, I do assign most of the work. I do more than just manage the website. So yeah. actually, I contribute to, uh, let's say, how do you call this, business development. Sure. <laughs> to the business development aspect of the, yeah. the newspaper. So. And Nahar has actually been called Lebanon's equivalent of the New York Times. You've heard that before yeah. by Charles Glass, who's a British-American journalist. Um, definitely, we said this before, everyone has an agenda. What would you say the agenda of Nahar is? Or, or how would you describe its political slant? Look, I would say, compared to other outlets, we're very balanced and objective and fair in our yeah, coverage. Yeah, I bet you they all say that. <laughs> I, I, I see what you're saying. There's worse. Yeah. <laughs> Much worse. <laughs> I, I, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. No, seriously, we're really balanced in that sense. I mean... If you read on the har, you can find yeah. you can find different perspectives. Yeah. So and that's really important. It is important. It's very important. So you've been covering the revolution. What's your take as someone who's been really focusing on on the day to day? You have a lot of information that most people don't have. Probably. What's your take? It's obvious that the revolution is leaderless. It's decentralized. I but think, that's purpose. That's on purpose, right? Not really. No, I mean, when when the protests broke out, no one really organized those protests. Yeah, it was spontaneous it, to a certain exactly. degree. Exactly. I mean, it started late. Started with a few hundred protesters, and then gained momentum. Yeah, it grew, and I think it's it's gonna keep gaining momentum. Mm -hmm. I don't think our like ruling class should underestimate the movement, the revolution, whatever you want to call it, because the financial, the monetary and the economic crises are, are going to get worse. Mm -hmm. More people are going to be unemployed. They're going to lose their jobs. This is happening every day. There's layoffs. Companies are going bankrupt. More and more people will take to the streets. I mean, you have to take immediate measures. What are the measures they should take? I would say they should start with like official capital controls right now, then consider a haircut, uh, then request assistance. I don't think the haircut is that popular, but the haircut would have to be applied in a Look, way. Look, that's the only way to protect small depositors. Mm -hmm. That's the only way to protect small depositors. So, so the and haircut is for a certain uh, level and above, absolutely, right? and it yeah. it can be proportional to the interest earned yeah. by those big depositors. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, that's the way to go if you want to protect small depositors. They really ran out of options, so they have to assume that responsibility. And now they're still like trading blame, trading accusations, nothing is being done. They should start with uh, the cabinet formation and then take immediate action. Mm-hmm. Is there anyone, are there any people that you've met in your um, you know, day-to-day that you feel should be involved in a new government? Do you have any names to bring to the table? Uh, I wouldn't name anyone, but okay. they have to bring in independent people, people that project confidence. Yeah, that's important to kind of uh, rally people around you. Absolutely. You need like a persona, someone who has like gravitas to a certain degree and experience that's credible, and of course. people whose reputation haven't been tarnished. Yes, and preferably people who don't like to steal other people's <laughs> money and things. That's like number one on the list in this country. Um, So one more question. Where would you like to see the news industry go, you know, if you're going to continue being a part of it? What's your ultimate vision for like how it should be? I would like to see like truly independent media outlets in Lebanon. I think it's that's going to take time, but it's going to happen eventually. And how would that make a difference uh, in kind of the functioning of, of, of this country or in any country? Look, media outlets have a role. They have to relay the facts to the people so the people can hold their governments accountable, right? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's key to any democracy, right? Yeah, but you said yourself that you've brought facts before and presented evidence against, you know, corrupt individuals and that it was kind of swept under the rug. Okay, but that's, I mean, this ruling class wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't be here forever, right? Right. It's changing. I mean, it's happening today. Yeah. All right. And what about in terms of um, the business aspect of it? How would you like to see things uh, develop? The fact that political funding or political money has stopped flowing, it's going to help those newspapers. I mean, it's going to be a long journey, but it's going to help them figure out a way to make money. Yeah, that makes sense. Independently. Sooner or later, they're going to get there. It's kind of like fight or die kind of situation. So that's the positive aspect (laughs) of what's That's nice. Light at the end of the the dark tunnel. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for your insights. Thank you for having me. And I wish you the best of luck. Thanks. Don't say anything bad about anyone. (laughs) It's all good. (laughs) Great news. Looking great. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks a lot. Well, that's all the news for today. That's it for today. We'd love to hear your comments. Please comment and subscribe to this podcast and check out all of Hakawadi's great shows. Bye, everyone. Thank you.